This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the No No Never podcast, I'm Jamie Smith and joining me this week are Natalie, James, Kevin and Adam's joining us this week for a fans forum. If you were listening last week you'll know that we're going to spend this week's podcast, because it's an international break, talking over some of the issues regarding the club uh, in a blatant, shameless rip-off of the fans forum that the club held recently. There's five main topics for us to go through, they're going to be grand improvements, plans for next season, Sean Dyche and his future, the youth system and the atmosphere at Surf Moor. They're going to be the five main areas. We'll have some quick-fire questions at the end. Hopefully, everyone who sent a question in will get mentioned, but if we do miss anybody out, apologies in advance. And thanks to everyone who has sent questions in. We really appreciate it. And also, it's going to be quite a long podcast, so feel free to listen to it in two or three bursts. But let's get cracking. The first subject area, then, is ground improvements. We had a few questions on this area. One was from Andy. Andy said, if Burnley are promoted, and a lot of the questions are going to be along these if Burnley are promoted lines, how would you like to see the money invested? Personally, I would like to see us filling the corners to the stands to add more atmosphere and extra capacity. Dan had a very similar question. He said, aside from disabled facilities and increased capacity, which ground improvement would you like to see if slash when we go up? Martin said, has the club got any plans for the cricket field stand? Something like the away end at Preston would be good. Um, James, we'll start with you. Is there anything in particular you'd like to see us do? At the turf? To be honest, I think it's interesting that extra capacity has been mentioned because I, I wouldn't really say on our last two Premier League um, seasons there's really been much to to, to evidence that we, we need more capacity. But what I would like to see done is um, a few years ago, obviously, we had the plans for moving the dressing rooms into the corner between the uh, Jimmy Mack and the James Hargreaves. Uh, I think it'd be really nice to see something like that done because, obviously, I think we are limited with what we can do underneath the uh, the cricket field stand I think it'd be nice to put in you know, sort of the facilities you see at some other grounds when they're on football focus and you get like warm up areas and indoor areas for, for subs to you know kick a ball around and I think that'd be something that could really benefit us if we could get that done. Natalie what about you is there anything in particular you'd like to see people talking about the corners but I don't know if the, the design and the new stands would even lend themselves to, to some seating going in there. No, I agree. I think the way that the ground is at the moment, you'd be hard-pressed to fill in those gaps as they are. I think that would be quite major renovations to the ground. I'm really torn with ground developments, to be honest, because 
I like an old traditional turf and I don't want us to move away from it being our ground and a lot of people who come to to turf you know they do like the fact that it's an old traditional ground and you know it isn't one of the old you know the new plastic soulless domes that we're seeing in some of the new premier league grounds um but i do recognize that you know we've we've got to have some modernization to the ground if we're going to progress as a club um I think the only thing that that I can think of, I mean, obviously we're already making some ground improvements to the ticket office and the and the club shop as well, so that's already well on its way. I think we just need to make sure that we do finish off um, the improvements that we've made already before we start any new projects. I and honestly, if, if anybody has any differing views to this, then then obviously do jump in. But I kind of feel like we've never really done what we wanted to do with the be all end with the Jimmy Mac. Um, it still feels like it's not quite finished and it's not being used to its full potential so i think we just need to finish off all the projects we've started before we we jump into something else i think um one one idea i have seen mentioned is extending the bob Ward stand not back because obviously the main road's there and there's only so far you can go back there but even forward um obviously the bob Ward stand at the front is quite raised isn't it so you could probably get three or four extra rows in there you could even potentially move the dugouts round to the other side of the pitch, maybe. Obviously, that's a bit of a change. Um, Kevin, if we can bring you in. The cricket field stand in particular seems to be what people are interested in, but there has been quite a bit of money spent on that to get home fans back in there in the first place. And there's the problem with the, the cricket club as well that means knocking it down and starting again seems to be a bit of a non-starter. Yeah, and I think over the years there's been quite a lot of talk... Um from the club and also outside the club about the about the cricket field stand and lots of different plans going around of of these swanky new stands which look like bread bins um at one point um i think i think paul paul uh was it paul fletcher behind a lot of that and obviously he's not with us anymore yeah the, the stadi arena <laughs> yeah um I, I think at that time we had these huge ambition plans it was almost like a turf more village wasn't it? it was like a cinema behind there there was Bowling and it was essentially like a little city center all around uh, in what is now the cricket the cricket club. Um, but yeah, I, I think at the time there was some there were some safety concerns about the about the cricket field stand. So I'm not sure uh, what the status of that is at the moment. But it's, it, it's something that's definitely got to remain on. Uh, uh, I think the most a, a long term, uh, sorry, a medium term plan um, because it is an old stand um, and it, it, it's going to get too out of date um before too long i think so uh, certainly at some point we're going to have to do something with it um but yeah i'm not sure it's a no sure it's an immediate concern uh like, like natalie said i think we we've done we've done some i think we've been focused a lot more on infrastructure at the moment which it might make sense uh like jim like uh, like james said to to actually go ahead with those changing room plans um that we we talked about last time um i think there was there was something about some state-of-the-art fitness and warming up centre involved in that as well um, and yeah I, I changed the rooms of, of I, don't, I don't know if it's done some work but I think when we when we first got promoted there was some talk about them being not fit in Premier League regulations so I don't know if we've, if we've done something to improve that since then um, but yeah I think, I think anything we do do at this stage will probably be more infrastructure rather than big big ground changes um, but uh, there was some talk about about atmosphere and filling in the cones for atmosphere. I don't actually, I don't think that makes a huge difference. To be honest, I think you look at you look at Stoke's ground. They've they've had some some cracking atmosphere that you're at Stoke over the years, and that's, they've got probably some of the most open corners um, you'll see in the top in the top couple of leagues. Um, so 
yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that's a big issue. I think, yeah, any any change reducer will, will be uh, probably more infrastructure-based. I think just following on with the cricket fifth stand, because of the, the work that was done on the roofing um, I think last season, I can't really see them wanting to, to pull it down and, and start again when they've done such extensive works. Um, but just coming back to what Bromley was saying about the B-hole end, um, I think it's worth mentioning that UCFB obviously have now uh, taken on the Etihad campus um, as well as Wembley, and I don't think they're actually having their o- any offices at, at the turf anymore. So I think it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, what's done with the extra space that comes around from that. There's already obviously the Turf Mall studio in there, and when we're in the Premier League last time, there was the Foreign Broadcaster studio. So it'd be interesting to see if there's a little bit more along those lines in the in the Jimmy Max stand. I'll tell you one little thing I'd like to see regarding the exterior. I know they've done some bits and. There's, there's the mural that's been outside the ticket office and they're doing up outside there as it is but I think we we could have something iconic there's enough room around the stadium that we could have something really special to Burnley what what that would be I don't know but we could have a statue statue maybe. of art statue <laughs> yeah. of uh, Gifton Noel Williams a statue of Gifton Noel Williams scoring a goal would be quite good it would also be quite difficult to depict since so few people have seen it <laughs> move the uh, move the singing ringing tree down <laughs> That's that sort of the atmosphere, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it doesn't work. So. <laughs> One other point on um, on on ground improvements was uh, safe standing that Matt M got in touch about. He said, Burnley FC are supporters of the campaign to bring back safe standing to English football stadiums. What more could be done to raise the profile of this campaign, influence the politicians that matter and make it a reality? I suppose that's a, a very complicated question, but start with Natalie you broadly in favour of, of safe standing? Would you like to see that at Turf? Um, yes and no. From a atmosphere point of view, standing is always better. We know ourselves when we go to away games, you know, everybody's jumping up and down and singing and dancing and it does give, you know, supporters, it, it creates a better atmosphere. From an absolutely 100% selfish reason, I would much prefer to sit down because I am only five foot two and I can hardly see the game when we're in standing areas. So I, I, I'm going to vote... With my sensible head, yes, let's do safe standing, but I will probably cry if it happens. <laughs> I would imagine there would be some areas where you would still be able to sit down. <laughs> Kevin? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm with Natalie in terms of I'm I'm a bit of a boring fan, really. I'm I'm, I'm not one of the fans that I, I'm not I'm not a hashtag true fan, in, but I like to sit down. I probably <laughs> I I probably watch football almost like I'd watch tennis. I like, I'll sit down and every ten minutes I'll just give it like, and ask polite little a polite little clap every now and again. Um, but yeah, I, de- I definitely like to see uh, see uh, bring safe standing into the, uh, in, into football football um, stadiums in England. I think it'd be a, I think it's a big step not just for atmosphere, but hopefully it, it might um, be allows us to introduce some cheaper ticket tickets perhaps as well. Um, I think what in terms of what what we need to do to 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 get it, um, I I work I work in Liverpool and I live just outside Liverpool. Um, so and I think obviously Hillsborough is one of the big reasons we don't have have safe standing, um, and I think of a, of a moment a lot of the families of the, of the Hillsborough victims are against safe standing, um, and I think that's a big problem in terms of obviously there's lots of revelations coming out in the last few years about uh, essentially the families being stitched up by 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 the government by the police and I think anything going against the families at the moment is is going to be pretty bad PR um, so I think if anything does happen it probably have to wait a few years for for, for that whole thing to, to maybe slow down a little bit um, 
other, other outside of that, I think money talks. If we can get some economic pro- arguments for again for, for for having stiff standing, I think that's probably going to be the biggest thing. Because as much as we like to think Premier League and and clubs are all about pleasing the fans, at the end of the day, if they can make money from it, that's I think that's going to be the biggest thing to get them on board. I think uh, in line with the last two, I'm probably oh well, I'm not the tallest of people. I'm sort of the definition of average height. Um, so personally, I'd rather sit so I can see. Um, but I do think safe standing would be really good, um, you know, just for small areas of grounds um, to influence atmosphere, uh, cheaper tickets, and obviously you can get more people in, the, in in safe standing areas. But, I mean, as far as influencing it goes, I don't know. Um, I think obviously Burnley has Julie Cooper, who, judging by what she, uh, her logic for voting against extended Sunday trading, she seems to quite like the old days, so maybe she'll be a, a big supporter of it. James getting... It's very political there, um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, in terms of uh, supporting uh, safe standing, I think uh, it would be interesting to see the club take a more kind of activist view on this. Not not in general because I think they they get most things quite right. If if we led the kind of the, the public conversation about this, I think uh, I remember um, when when uh, we played Peterborough, I went to Peterborough, and I think they're quite big on it because obviously they still had. Uh, I think uh, maybe they still have they they have some terraces um, that are still like the the old style standing um, and 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 also I think we we need to kind of as as Kev said like it's it's quite hard to win the PR battle um, so if if we are are to kind of push this uh, we need to make sure we get clear the the like the actual benefits and uh, uh, kind of push how safe how safe this safe standing is. Um, because it's in it's in Germany and it's in all these other leagues and I'm I, I can't imagine that um, Germany would do something that's in in any way unsafe. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, I think we could maybe we could do more in terms of um, being very public about our our stance on this, but um, I'm not too sure how that will actually work out in reality. Yeah, it's it's tricky, isn't it? I think Kevin made a good point about Hillsborough and how. That's obviously it's it's sort of hanging over the whole debate, I think. But the key is safe standing in Hillsborough. It wasn't because people were stood up; it was because of mismanagement. Just absolutely put that straight. So to use Hillsborough as an excuse, I think would be be wrong to start with. I'd love to see the cricket field stand eventually be turned into a big, old-fashioned, safe standing cop style stand. I think that would be absolutely fantastic. Um, the next topic then. A lot of people ask questions about planning for next season. Obviously, um, I don't think anyone wants to count the chickens and assume that we are promoted already, but a lot of these questions do refer to that, so feel free to skip the next five minutes if you don't want to listen to that. Dave Roberts was one of the people who got in touch. He said, if Burnley are able to bounce straight back to the Premier League, what proportion of the £100 million guaranteed revenue should be used towards a summer transfer kitty? Which positions should be prioritised? I also had a question on a similar note from Tighty, who's a Leicester fan. He said, with promoter clubs now allowed wage bills up to £67 million under the new rules, if you do make it, do you think the club will invest more heavily this time around and be better equipped to survive? There's a couple more questions on this, come, but we'll start with that. Um, James, we'll start with you. Do you think we'll we'll spend a bit more than last time? There's only about £8 million that we spent on players, which was a very small proportion of the, the cash that we received for being promoted. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's difficult because... You can see what we tried to do last time. I think it, you know, it was the right thing to give the players who got us promotion the the, the chance to to prove themselves. 
um, at the highest level. But also, I think a lot of it comes down to just what's available, doesn't it? You know, obviously we've seen this season we've maybe spent a little bit more. Obviously, I know we've got some money coming back in from sort of Trippier and Ings, but I think you know if Andre Gray had been available at the same time the year before, maybe we would have signed him. And um, I think it is difficult to sort of look back and say, oh, we didn't spend money. Was it just the case that we were, you know, we had the transfer kitty down, we were ready to spend it, but there just wasn't someone who fitted what we were looking for? Because I think the worst thing you could do um, as a newly promoted side is spend money for the sake of spending money, and I'd hate to see us do that. Um, but if there's people, obviously, that, that fit what Dash is looking for, then I think it'd be fantastic to spend more money. Um you know, and, and try and really make a push to stay up, but definitely not do it just for the sake of it. And I'm not really sure I understand Titi's question about the wage bill. I, I haven't seen this these rules, but I didn't. I don't really see it affecting us because um, you know, Burnley have always set their wage bill based on you know living within our means, and I think a lot of it comes down to as well we've got to plan for if we don't stay in the Premier League you can't go and sign players on you know big multi-year deals and not have some sort of clause in there to make sure that they're affordable for the season after um, and I don't really see a reason why the board had you know changed from the sensible tap we've been on for the last few years I think he's, he's referring to the changes in FFP isn't he over the last few months um, a few other questions on the same sort of area I think we'd all like to see us spend a bit more money than last time it'd be interesting to see if um the success of the Andre Gray signing sort of changes the mentality a bit because I think there has been a reluctance to pay big money for players but the fact Gray has been such good value even for the six million we spent on him maybe that'll persuade the club to maybe push the boat out a little bit more a couple more questions on this area then Chris Wilson said if we go up and that is still an if what areas do you think need strengthening the much the most even and Laura said with the performance of Ben Mee at centre-back and the signing of James Tarkovsky do we need another centre-back when we get promoted I think no Natalie what are your thoughts on, on squad strengthening for next season what areas would you like to see us focus on I think this squad's in a better shape than it has been for a long time and I know we said this at the last two times we got promoted but it certainly feels like it's in better shape than it was the last two promotion seasons um, I think what we'll probably come on to in a while as well is, is obviously the um, the potential uncertainty around Tom Heaton's future. Um, I think, obviously, if um, if he does leave or he is poached by uh, one of the top Premier League clubs, then I think that is a, a real... It's it suddenly become a bit of a panic area for me in that you look around and think, oh, gosh, we've got no plan B with Tom Heaton at all. Um, so other than other than the keeper, and that will obviously depend on the, the summer that Tom Heaton has, um, central midfield, for me, is still an area that needs improvement. I'm not... 100% convinced yet with um, Jones or Marnie partnering um, Joy in midfield and I think that we need um, somebody in there who's going to just improve that I guess position. That I think I think even even, even with uh, if, even if, if those three players are going to be are going to be still at the level they are in the championship in, in the Premier League I think um, we, we still need to add at least uh, one or two central midfielders um, I, I don't. I don't think we've got an, enough depth in that area at all. Um, all the stats shown some really nice touches here and again, but the one time he's been really tested uh, for from the start, which is against Fulham. I thought it was it was really really poor. So I think yeah, I, we we definitely need some strength in there. Um, 
and I agree. I think we we can certainly rely on Barton doing the job um, in, in in the Premier League if we can if we if we keep him on. And I think all all indications are that we will do. Um, but yeah, Jones and Marnie, it, I, don't, I don't think even has really really proved themselves at the at the top level yet. So uh, it'd be nice to see us bring in um, maybe someone a bit younger, um, maybe a, you know a young really top performer from the Championship, um, or even a, if we've if, if there's any. Kind of young Premier League players that aren't getting a shout so in the in the Matt Lawton mould um, to come in and and and, and fill that role. So I think we've got in, in Jones, Marnie, and Barton. They're all quite at the at the older end as well. So it'd be nice to have um, some some a central midfielder who we can start to build our our future around because those three players are probably not going to be with us forever. Uh, and you don't want to get to the stage in a few years when you're having to rebuild uh, your central midfield completely. Dare I throw in the name Henry Lansbury? Maybe not. <laughs> um, Adam. Uh, yeah, I think I think Kevin makes a, a good point about uh, make, making sure we, we buy for the future, and I think that's got to be the case for for all of our signings in the summer. Whether we go up or not, we need to make sure that they're, they're viable options for the, the future. Um, on actual uh, places that we need to need more cover, I'm still not entirely happy with Boyd at the uh, Boyd in, in the side, and yeah, I, uh, I I think that we need to need more strength in that area. Uh, to answer Laura's question as well, defensively, I think we're, we're pretty okay, aren't we? With Ben Meehan, Keane, assuming he's there, Tarkovsky in reserve, I think we all assume that um, Michael Duff might retire at the end of the season, but there's also Kevin Long, he's just going out on loan, and I think he'd be fine as fourth choice, so I think we're probably okay there. Um, Paul, who's Hitchhiker on Twitter, said, do you think we could lose Andre Gray even if we get promoted? Um, this is a very Burnley fan thing to worry about losing players when they're doing really well. <laughs> James Andre Gray, do you think he's going to be in demand in the summer? I, you know, I think there'll be there'll be teams that are interested, and there'll be teams that call. But I think I can't see us selling. You know, I think you're getting promoted, and I think as well, it's a great position for for Andre to be in himself. I mean, if you come up with a you know newly promoted side and it doesn't necessarily work out too well, and the team get relegated. You, you can't really necessarily be blamed for, for not showing what you've got at the top level because there's obviously so many factors involved. But I think um, I think whereas if you come up and you, you have a season like Danny Ings does and you, you, you prove yourself, then obviously I think you you heighten your profile even more than, than your goal-scoring record at the Championship does. And I think partly this comes in with Tom Heaton as well, isn't it? We were talking about maybe needing another keeper as uh, back up there. But, you know, I really can't see Tom Heaton going either because it's an absolutely... You know, it's a great chance for any player really to prove yourself when you come up with a team from the Championship. I think uh, the only concern I've got with Heaton is is if a club like Everton comes in and wants to make him their number one. I think that would be a concern. I've not seen him going to sit on the bench somewhere. Kevin, uh, there's also I think there's also the likes of of Michael Keane as well. Um, I think yeah, those those three players, Gray Keane and, and Heaton, are the big concerns. Um, Particularly if we don't get promoted, they're going to be big targets for Premier League. I think, and even if we do, um, I think we'll, if we cast our minds back to to the start of last season when it got to the end of August and we still had Danny Ings, we were all we were all really pleased because there was a lot of concern that we might have lost him at the start of last season. Um, so yeah, so I think just getting promoted is, is certainly no guarantee of keeping all of your of your top players. Um, so if we if we can if we can keep all of those three players, um, that'd be a, that'd be really big for us. I think. Jeff got in touch. He said, "What would you advise Sean Dash to do differently compared to when we were in the Premiership last time?" Um, obviously, we got relegated 
so we would need to do something a bit differently. Natalie, tactics, team selection, do you think there's anything in particular that, that Dash needs to improve? I have some reservations that we're already going to be doomed by our own inability to deviate from a 4-4-2 formation in the Premier League. Um, it, it worries me a little bit, really, and I think it works in the Championship and it, it obviously makes us perform well and gets us promoted. But as we saw last season, it, it's very often our downfall. And I, I, I do worry that we won't, either we won't have learned our lesson from the last promotion season and we just go down the same tactics again, the same route, and we don't make any changes. Or worse, that potentially Deitch is exposed as not having a plan B. Um, yes, we do need to change. We need to learn from those mistakes we made. But I, at the moment, I I can't see whether or how we're going to change that formation. I think just tagging that onto the back of the, the last discussion we just had, our summer signings may very well depend on whether or not we're going to persist with a 4-4-2 in the Premier League or whether or not we're going to go for a different formation. Um, and it might be that our signings you know, give us some indication of what way is going to go. I think for me, following on from formation, that maybe the biggest thing is last time around, I think we really sometimes is away games... That, that you play and you think really you want to pat the midfield and just try and be defensive. I know it's not been the dash way so far to go out and not lose games, but um, you know I think when you go to teams like Chelsea and you know the likes of the, the top half of the table, really, I think sometimes you just need to go with five in midfield and just do your best to to not get beat. He only did it once, didn't he? The West Brom game when he had a, a few players injured, we went for the four five one and got taken apart, but the personnel was all wrong. I wonder if that's I wonder if it scared him off a bit. Yeah, there was injuries and there was, you know, you were putting square pegs in round holes, really, weren't you? Um, but I think if you've got a fully fit side and you've, you've maybe got, uh, you know, a top half of the league away plan and then you've got, you know, you can play 4 4 2 at home because at home you've got the crowd behind you and, you know, even if it is a big side, maybe you can come out and shock them. Um, but I think away from home at big sides, really, you need to try and just shut it down. I remember last season's podcast um, almost every week, on, on a similar to what, no, to what James said, I think almost every single week uh, we were urging Sean Dyche to adapt his formation into a, almost like a, a 4-5-1, which would um, evolve into a 4-3-3 when we went forward. Um, and I, I hope we're not having that same conversation every week next uh, next season. I'm um, sure I'll... Our listeners hope that we don't have that conversation. <laughs> we won't actually as well. Although, to be fair, on a, on a selfish note, we could probably just copy and paste uh, <laughs> the, the, the sections from last week and just spend less time on the podcast just because of a pub afterwards. Um, I just wanted to, Natalie's, Natalie's note about needing to do a bit more in, in the Premier League, sort of something I want to pick up on, is that you're gonna, if you look at Premier League clubs, they're, they're going to have much more extensive scouting networks. Um, than than championship clubs, and that's not just to, that's not just just sending one bloke to watch us uh, in the, 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 the match before. They're likely to have um, a whole team who's going to be looking at all our strengths and weaknesses. Um, and I think that's a big concern. I think you can get away with with doing the same thing all the time in, in the championship because, um, well, you can just get away with it. But in the Premier League, when you've got such um, the opposition are going to study us so much more, we're going to come under so much more scrutiny from the opposition. Um, tacticians, but I think that's where you need to be a lot more flexible in the Premier League. And I think like, I agree with you, Natalie. That was our undoing last year, uh, last season. I think on that as well, it, it works in the Championship because we've been better than most of the other teams. So the formation, I think, is less important. You don't have to worry too much about tactics because you know that to use a dashism, the framework is so solid. But 
when you've got, for instance, when we played Chelsea at the turf last season, it, it didn't matter what shape we had because we're always going to find ways to cut through us. Um, final question on this topic then before we move on to the next one. Will said, if we make it back into the Premier League, another if we make it into the Premier League question, which big money signing would you most like us to make? Um, Adam, will kick off with you on this one. I, I, this this uh, question is interesting to me because it's, it assumes that we're going to make a big money signing. And I um, I think that it's it, more often than not in recent years, we've uh, we have tended not to make a kind of marquee signing in the window. We've, uh, we've strengthened where we needed to. Even with players like Gray and, and Barton, they, they were marquee and uh, Gray was expensive. Um, but still, I, th- I think it was because both of those players fit. Um, so I'd, I'd not speculate about which which marquee kind of big name signing we're going to make, even though it's quite fun as fans, um, because we, we might if, if they don't fit the as Dice says the group, then what if what's the point? Um, you, you can spend as much money as you want, but they have to fit in with the actual club and 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 do well uh, for us in that way. I think um, I was joking about Lansbury earlier, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if we go back in for him again. And I think Alan Judge is still going to be on the radar as well, even if we get promoted. So that's two names I'd like to throw in. Um, Nasley, anything to add on this? I was literally just about to add um, Judge in there as well, just before you said that then. I think... Judge would certainly fit in with the upgrading on Boyd. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when we played in this, and I've seen him play this season, it's absolute quality. I'd be very, very happy. Um, Lansbury, uh, despite the... 47 sagas of trying to sign him I'd, I'd again I'd be very happy having him there um, an interesting point we really look at what classes as a as a big name signing or a big money signing picking up on what Adam's just said there it doesn't necessarily have to be one player that is um, you know a significant amount of money it doesn't have to be a big name either when we signed Gray he that you know it, it seemed like a lot of money for a name that wasn't automatically on everybody's radar so it you know we could spend a lot of money on um, a player who isn't necessarily a, a you know a star name that's going to hit all the headlines, and I'd, I'd kind of put Judge in there in that bracket really, and that some people might raise a few eyebrows, but I know that Brentford want a lot of money for him, and they've hiked his price tag sort of twelve million plus, so that would be a really expensive signing for somebody who potentially isn't that. I'm going to say the word fashionable because I can't really think of a, a better way to say it. So we may very well come out and sign a lot of money on somebody who's you know an up and coming player who's who maybe you know isn't one that that everybody knows or we may have a large pot of money and just build a squad with some cheaper players that are one two three million each i think the one little thing that might hold us back on judge as well is his age i don't see a lot of development and resale potential there whereas we probably always thought we'd get our money back on andre gray whatever happened um kevin any names to throw out there well, uh, just to quickly jump into what Natalie and Adam said, yeah, I, I agree with both. You, it, it annoys me a little bit when when fans, football, not just it's not Burnley fans, it's football fans. We're always like, oh, you know, we need to make this big money signing. Actually, it, it I, I, I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter at all how much you spend on a player. You look at the the, the, the players we've got. Yeah, we've got, got Gray, who's we spent a lot of money on the bag, but had a big impact. But when you also look at the likes of Barton, uh, who's coming in a free, Scott Arfield in a free, Tom Heaton on a free. Um, it, it doesn't matter yeah, how much you spend on a player. A yeah, of, I think I think there's happen. so many fans who are obsessed with um, making this big money signing, which is it's all very exciting when it comes off. It's all exciting, but actually, at the end of the day, it, it, it matters nothing. But I have got one name to throw into the pot. There's a there's a player who's, who's making big waves. I think it's a striker um, making big waves at Colchester. Uh, I'd like to see him make a move for Marvin Sordell. 
Not a player I name. I recognise the name of Marvin Soto. One name I'd like to throw out there, slightly controversial maybe, but if we were to lose Michael Keane, I'd like to see us go for Duffy at Blackburn. I know he was here very briefly as a teenager and didn't make a big impression, but I think he's got something about him. Statistically, he's right up there with the best defenders in the league. He's young, he's a full international, he's a goal-scoring threat, and he threw himself into the crowd when he scored a last-minute goal the other week, and I thought that was very good to watch. Uh, moving on from that question then, the next topic that we're going to go over is Sean Dyche's future. Uh, now, Dyche has been linked with Aston Villa in the press this week. Suggestions that Villa are going to put him towards the top of their shortlist for the summer if and when Remy Gard leaves. Um, now, Rickers Swickers was one of the people who got in touch on this question. He said, we all love Sean Dyche and his time at Burnley must be regarded as a success. Yes, 100% in agreement on that. But when the time comes for him to move on, as it surely must, will he leave a hero or a traitor? pretty obvious who Rickers Twickers is referring to there, James. Surely he, he wouldn't go in a similar manner to Owen Coyle, would he? I really can't see him going in the, the same way Owen Coyle did. And I think the idea that he'll go to Villa is just astounding, isn't it, really? If we get promoted, I, I can't see Dash going to, to Villa to you know to step back down to the Championship. I think you know he probably feels he's got a point to prove that he can stay in the, the Premier League with a side. And I think he'll want to do it with Burnley because... You know, on the face of it, uh, with that wage structure, it's a bigger challenge. So I think it is the you know the, the better option for him if he if he's thinking purely from a career point of view and, and showing you know what ability he does have. I think I think I think I think Villa's uh, would be a, a a weird move to make. Whatever happens, if we get promoted, it's a very weird move to drop down. But even if we don't go up, um, go up, if we remain in the Championship, it's it's still a very weird move. I think. There's, there's a lot more risk um, to going to Villa than there is with, with going again with Burnley. I think we've got, we'd have a potentially a better chance of, of going up next season than, than Villa was. I think we're a very stable club. We're a solid club. We've got, as he likes to say, we've got a good framework. He's, he's a, and I think if we don't go up, we've got a mass exodus of, of players and staff. You'd expect us to be right up there again next season. Whereas Villa, it's it's almost a lottery when these big clubs uh, who've been in the Premier League for quite a long time come down um, from the Premier League, particularly with the, the absolute mess they're in at the moment uh, this season. And you, you certainly wouldn't be surprised to see Villa finish right down at the bottom. So, um, yeah, I, if, if Villa got, if Sean Dash goes to Villa, um, I'd be very, very surprised. Um, on whether he leaves that traitor, it's quite interesting actually because I've been watching this weekend. I stumbled upon a lot of videos from the Owen Coyle promotion season on YouTube. So I was watching the, I watched an hour of goals from the from the season. I watched uh, the, the the those cracking goals at Reading in the playoff final, and I was actually quite struck at how how similar to, on the pitch after the Wembley final, um, how similar to Sean Dyche Owen Coyle sounded. Um, he was very calm, collected. He almost—it was almost that. Okay, over now. Let's get on with it. Um, but on, on that on that note, I yeah, I, I can't see him him leaving in a similar way to 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 Owen Coyle. But but you, you never know. You can never predict the future. I think I think it's it'll be really interesting to see what his next move is because I don't think he's done enough to earn a Premier League job yet. Obviously, we got relegated last time. We were pretty much relegated. I expect us to get relegated last time, but. I don't think we exceeded expectations in any way. I think there was a lot of question marks that were raised about Dash. We talked about his tactical inflexibility earlier, and I think he needs to prove that he can 
he can play and win in a different way than just playing four four two and and having the best striker in the league, which we've done in two of the last three seasons. That's not to say I don't think he's a fantastic manager. I think it's just an obvious weakness that he needs to work on. And I agree with with Kevin that it will, Villa in particular will be an odd move, and I, I don't see why he'd move to another club in the Championship. So positively, I think we're going to have him for a little while. Um, Natalie, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think there is any chance of Dash moving on in the summer, or are you pretty confident that he's still going to be here in August, whether we go up or not? I'm really confident. I think he will. I think he's committed to staying here for a few years yet, and at least finishing the job that he started. Um, you, I don't have anything to add other than what you just said. Then where's he going to go? Um, I can't see him going to another Championship side, and no, he hasn't proved himself yet. The only job that I think he, I could see him leaving us for halfway through his his five year plan, um, that I'm sure he's got, would be for a. a club like Everton or, or maybe Southampton you know like a good solid top half of the table side and I just don't think they will come in for him Okay and another hypothetical type question on this area was from James Denson who got in touch and said if Dash was to get the England job after the Euros this is quite a big leap of faith that we're going for who would replace him um, I'll, I'll kick off with this I think it's 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 difficult because it's it's such a a speculation question but I think one very interesting manager in the championship is Gary Rowett, I think he's done a fantastic job at Birmingham and someone I've been a long term admirer of, although it would be quite a jump to, to appoint a manager who's only worked in the lower leagues is Paul Tisdale at Exeter I think what he's done at that club is absolutely amazing and I'd love to see us appoint someone who's got a reputation for having a real long term vision, even though it might not necessarily yield short term results Um Natalie, we'll start with you then on this. Have you got any suggestions for possible Sean Dash replacements? A lot of fans always like to see former Clarets thrown into the mix. And I saw Graham Alexander won his first game at Scunthorpe 6-0 or something today. Bring that Brian Laws. <laughs> oh, God, Kevin, what are you doing? <laughs> that's, that's Brian Laws and Marvin Sordell mentioned on the podcast. I hope no one's driving listening to this. You'll be giving people heart attack at the wheel. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I don't have any ex-clarets on my immediate list, I'm afraid. One name that I thought of earlier on today was Gary Monk. He, I thought he did an amazing job at Swansea and I'm, he, he kind of fits into um, Dyche's mould as a young upcoming manager um, and I really like him, so I would be quite pleased to see him. Monk's an interesting show. Kevin, any ideas? Um, I've not got any... Uh, no, I, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Outstanding. Um, Adam, can you remember what you were going to say? I can remember what I was going to say. Uh, I, was, uh, I don't know if he'd be too big a name now because he's at Rangers, but Mark Warburton is, worked closely with Dyche at uh, uh, Watford, I think. Um, and, and I know they're very close friends and I think he could do very well in uh, in coming in and basically t- picking up where he left off. But Rangers are a big, much bigger club than us. Um, and I think it would rely on us being in the Premier League and having um, a a lot more going for us um that i think that would make sense and um, whether we could do it is another thing uh but this is all hypothetical because sean dash is not going to get the england job um he's not worked with big players and i think the whole big thing about his success is the whole club mentality he's he's working with that small group working with him every day and that just doesn't translate to international football i don't think so um, yeah, Sean Dyche is not going to get the England job. If we're going to take the question at first value, then England are going to win the Euros this summer, and Roy Hodgson's going to ten- get going to get a ten-year contract. So, yeah, I, I don't think Sean Dyche as, as England manager is 
going to happen in the near future. Uh, James, I know you're not a big fan of hypothetical questions, but anyone out there you'd like to see as a, as a Burnley manager in the future? I'm not even going to entertain the idea that that Joan Dash is going to be coming on manager after the Euros. That's like so, a slightly different question to answer. Oh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a difficult one to say, isn't it? Because it, it, managers sometimes go to some places and turn out to be absolute duffs after looking fantastic somewhere else. Um, and, you know, we all thought Dash might have been a, a bad choice at first. Well, I didn't, but many people thought Dash might have been a bad choice at first. Um, so I think it would be difficult to see uh, it's, it's difficult to pick a name, isn't it? Nicely hedged. We can leave that topic there for now. Then I think that was quite a good question. So if anyone's got any uh, better answers to that, please do get in touch. In the meantime, you can get in touch with us through all the usual methods: podcast at his email address, or you can tweet us at net as well. The next topic is about the youth system at Burnley. Obviously, there is investment being made in this area. The building a new training centre at Gawthorpe, which will hopefully make a difference. We had a very good question from Andy Townsend on this. I assume it's not the Andy Townsend sending us emails from his tactics truck. But Andy said, Burnley have traditionally been regarded as a selling team and therefore relied heavily on our youth team for financial security and for the core of the team. However, in the last few years, we haven't had any players coming through, the last one being Jay Rodriguez. Do you think this has anything to do with our current levels of success or that we cannot attract players? Even in recent memory, we had Lafferty, McCann and slightly further players like Brad Maylett. I feel that although we have better facilities than ever before, our youth system is failing. Um, Andy, quite concerned about our youth system there. Natalie, we'll start with you on this one. Our youth system hasn't produced a player since Jay Rodriguez. That's got to be a, a bit of a concern for for everyone at the club looking into the future. Absolutely, and it's something that we should all be very, very aware of. Um, I think he's kind of answered his own questions, Andy, in that, in that, um, you know, is it is it down? Well, there's two things, there's two points he's highlighted. Number one, is it down to our success? And I think a lot of that is, um, is I think that is a factor in it, in that we no longer need to find this absolute gem of a player and sell him for a massive profit in order to survive. Uh, we're having money coming in from other means, and the success on the pitch from the first team is certainly um, adding to that. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't still be looking for that player, but the urgency isn't there as it has been in previous years. The second point that he's raised is, is quite an interesting one, actually, and is whether or not we can actually attract the talent. For me, the bigger size, well, the size in the, the Premier League are, they've really upped their game now in getting and signing on their youth teams, a lot of English players, just to fill the quota of English players that they've got to have on their books. There are new rules in now that stipulates how many, you know, um, homegrown players need to be in a club side. And I think that has had an impact on it because the bigger size, certainly I know City are very active in this area. They are putting a lot of time and effort into getting these players on the books and signing them just so they don't fall foul of those rules. And we're seeing that there's less of a pool then filtering down to the um, the club's but them. Yeah, I think it's. I think the the elite performance plan thing is going to have a big impact on how smaller clubs like ourselves can develop young players. It seems to me, um, it might just be me wearing my cynical head, that clubs that don't develop players voted for this, they could get some guaranteed money coming in, and clubs that do develop players like the likes of Crew, they're just going to end up losing their talented youngsters for next to nothing. Players that traditionally they would have built up, developed, put in the first team and then sold them on for a few million, and that pays for their academy. I don't see how that's going to work with the new EPPP thing. Um, James, we've signed a lot of players for our development squad over the last couple of years, since Sean Dash has been in charge, really. 
but none of those have really looked like breaking through yet. Is that the next step to, to put a pathway in place? I'm not sure. To, to me, the development squad signings almost look like they show that we don't really have a lot of confidence in what are coming through our own system. You know, a lot of them are players who were really highly touted when they were younger. You know, they've lost their way. Um, and I think we're hoping that, you know, we can get them back on track and get them into the first team. Um, you know, almost like reclamation projects. But uh, we saw bits of Chris Long and I thought, you know, he looked reasonably good. Um, obviously, he's now fallen away from the, the first team picture with the, the number of strikers we've got. But um, it's going to be interesting to see whether any of those actually pan out. Um, but I guess you can look at it in other ways that all the money really has been spent on their development by the Premier League clubs who had them to start with. And, you know, we're just going to see if they can get back on track and you know, if they don't, we've probably not lost really a lot of money because I can't imagine the wages are big. It, it, it's a, it's a real tricky one. This the the, the latest development squad signing. I'm, I'm not going to attempt to say his name because I've got no idea how to pronounce it. But a big, strong defender who's never been on the books of a, a professional club, even at the age of 19. But there is a highlights reel of him on YouTube. I know that brings back memories of Bessart Barish, who and everyone can look good Richard was fantastic though we, we did see him at the turf and he hit the crossbar against England B and it was awesome yeah it was awesome for one game <laughs> and he scored a friendly he scored well, a goal in a friendly against Accrington so. I, think, I think in his defence I think in his defence while he was settling into the country he did you know break his knee yeah that is very true makes him like a can doesn't it really to go back to the, the, the point the player I was mentioning he looks like he's got a lot of raw talent but He's not been with a professional club, and it seems like you were saying these reclamation type projects. Players like George Green, that it's gone wrong for whatever reason that we're going to try and mould. It doesn't seem like we're actually going to be able to develop any out of our own players. It's one to keep an eye on, certainly. I have noticed the other thing that we're doing as well is they have this. Um, I can't remember what they're calling it, but it's like you go do. Uh, sort of a two-year college course, don't you? And and get into a, a Burnley, you know, whatever they call it, coaching uh, apprenticeship team, sort of thing. And that seems like a you know quite an interesting slant on it because they're looking at you know sixteen, seventeen-year-olds coming in and trialing and being good enough to be in this scheme. Uh, but they were also saying that there is the opportunity there to get into you know, professional football, which I think's uh, an interesting idea, and I'm not sure whether it's been done anywhere else because that's the first time I've sort of seen that thing. I think getting getting the young players' games seems to be a real problem. I know some of the young lads have gone out on loan, but as an example, Masanka, the striker, he was scoring so many goals in youth team and development squad teams that people were genuinely calling for Masanka to get a chance in the first team. He's gone out and loaned to York City, done absolutely nothing. They're one of the worst teams in the football league. Now, it's not necessarily the ideal loan for a striker to go to a team that's struggling, but it, it just shows what a massive gulf it is between a development squad, even a quite successful club like ours, and then actual football league. But there are clubs elsewhere that are playing teenagers, so it must be a problem at Burnley. Um, Adam, what do you think we need to do to, to get this youth system problem sorted out? I think for a while we've uh, we've uh, struggled because our facilities weren't as good as as other um, clubs. But now that's been rectified, so maybe that will help change. I think another point on this topic is uh, 
we as a club we we have a very limited catchment area anyway and if you if you take into account the fact that we if we want to develop our own players they're going to have to come probably from the local area um but um and and because the northwest has so many football teams anyway you, you, we've we've got probably the most competition for where where clubs are going to send their their um their players and even if our facilities are good that we're competing with the reputation of other um other clubs um uh like that so so hopefully this the, the facility thing with with the new whatever it's called the something barn barnfield construction training center complex um uh hopefully that will help help move things in the right direction but i think we're still going to always struggle from now on uh with, unless we get a l- lucky break with a, a local talent like i think probably was the case with jay rodriguez it's interesting, actually, that traditionally a lot of our players historically came from the northeast, where I think we had a very strong Skype base. I don't know if that's still in effect. And we brought a few players over from Ireland. Lafferty and McCann both did well as well. So it, it shows that it can be done, but you're absolutely right. There were so many clubs around. If there is a talented lad growing up in Burnley, he's probably going to have half a dozen Premier League clubs banging on his door. Um, Kevin, what are your thoughts on the youth system? Well, first of all, I don't want to say anything about Chris McCangus. Um, last time I did that, I got an angry phone call from Brian Jensen. Um, you know, Hi, 15 Brian. <laughs> I, I, I slagged him off on the site and he gave, he gave like a 15-minute rant to, to me about him. He was getting very irate and he was driving at the time as well, so I was very concerned that I was going to cause Brian, Brian Jensen to crash. Great name, <laughs> um, by the way, Kev. <laughs> it's not the best name drop, is it, when someone's like telling you how awful you are um but i think one one thing to mention about the the junior side I, yeah i think our strategy lost quite recently has been signing a lot of like you said signing players who've been released from other clubs um rather than having their own junior players but i think one thing you would we might say on that is that i think a few years ago we pretty much completely restructured our junior our junior coaching and scouting side i think a lot of the personnel we had uh, their left and we've brought new people in and completely rebuilt that. Um, so on the back of that, it's probably going to take uh, quite a while for that to, to really come into effect. And that's the, the whole thing about junior, the junior side is that you can't, you're not going to see those instant effect. It probably takes 10 years or so for actually for you to see the fruits of that. So that's one caveat with that. I think we did, we had a big structure behind that. So if, if something is, is going to come on the back of that and we're going to see some some junior players come come through, it's probably still going to be a few years off before we see that actually happen. That's a good point as well. I think one final thing I'd, I'd like to raise on this is uh, Dash himself, I know he had quite a good reputation for playing young players at Watford, but I'm starting to wonder if that's just because he had no, no other option. I think the lack of players he had there maybe forced him into it, but Obviously, you can always argue that if the players were good enough, they'd get a game, but I do think it's a bit of a problem that none of the youth team players seem to have been anywhere near the squad under Sean Dash. And even if they did get in the squad, would they get on the pitch with the, the way he uses um, subs? So I think that's that's another problem. Um, the last topic then, there will be a quick fire round right at the end of the, of the podcast, but the last main topic that we're going to go through is the atmosphere at Surf Mall. I know we've done a bit on this recently, but we did get quite a few questions on this. The first one came from Richard. Richard said match day music is always one of those topics where you can't please everyone however surely playing the same songs every week is not a winner even if one of those songs is the 1988 smash hit feeling hot 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 by the merry men how can we improve the music selections please the majority maybe help encourage a better match day atmosphere Rick also got in touch on the same 
um, sort of along the same sort of lines. He says, some shout and get angry, some dance and sing, but many Clara fans love and mourn, especially the ones behind Daesh in the Bob Ward stand. I think this is very similar to a point you made last week, Natalie. In fact, I think that's why many people go on the turf to have a mourn. Daesh needs to understand this and give them a break. They don't go to support, they go on the turf as an essential form of release through mourning. They pay good money for a good mourn. The poor buggers have hardly had out to mourn at about for weeks now, so when the opportunity came about against Wolves, they would inevitably be an avalanche of morningness rolling down from the stands um, we have done atmosphere quite a bit recently James Roger also said um, things like flags, could we could we use them is, is there anything you think we're missing a trick on, we've obviously got home fans in the cricket field stand now and it seems to have made a bit of a difference but I think everyone still agrees that there is work to be done in this area I don't really think it's just a, a burn problem, really, to be honest. Um, you know, I think when you go to a lot of grounds as an away supporter, the home support can be quite quiet. And it's mainly because, you know, at this level, there's very few teams that, that get a full house. And I think when you've got the crowd that are quite dispersed, it's really difficult to, you know, to generate enough noise from, from a group of people to really make it seem like there's a lot of atmosphere. And the other problem as well, obviously, is you know, maybe a group start chanting at one end of the James Hargreaves. By the time people at the other end realise that the first set of people have stopped or they end up out of sync or not even singing the same song. Um, and I think that then discourages people from joining in again because last time they did it, it sounded naff. Um, but really, the other big problem we have at the turf, and I'm not sure I do see this as much at other, other grounds, is our fans just seem to really like to make a noise when a pass goes awry. Uh, I don't know whether it's, you know, involuntary or something, but, I mean, if a Burnley player passes backwards, quite often that will elicit a, a, a nice groan from some parts of the stand, which I think just seems quite strange. I don't know if it's a mentality of how people expect Burnley to play and, you know, only go forwards or something, or something like, you know, something simple like that, but it, it is a bit discouraging, I think, when you hear sort of groans for no good reason, because, I mean, sideways pass is sometimes the, the right option. Yeah, I think Rick has genuinely got a point um, in that a lot of fans seem to be waiting for an excuse to have a go at players. There's always seems to be one player in particular who's a bit of a whipping boy, no matter how well we're doing. I think Dave Jones is the one at the minute. and like He could play 100 passes in a game, but if he gets one wrong, that's going to be the one that people remember and message world's going to be full of people sliding off saying, oh, give the ball away and consider a throw-in and then they had a shot on goal five minutes later as a result of that throw-in. It, it does seem to me like people just look for reasons to complain. I think one of the problems for me is that fans have to take responsibility for this. You see a lot of fans complaining about atmosphere, but are they actually trying to improve the atmosphere themselves when, when there are chances they're joining in? I, I don't know. I've been in the cricket field stand a couple of times this season and the atmosphere in there has been good. But then you look at the other stands and no one seems to be even like clapping along or anything. It just seems like they're, they're going to to just sit and be entertained rather than to actually uh, contribute to the atmosphere. I think sometimes it's almost like there's a, a set of people who want to go and watch an atmosphere, don't they, rather than be part of it so they'll complain about there being a lack of atmosphere but actually they don't want to be part of generating it they want someone else to generate it and they want to you know just witness it happen 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point, is that, James, actually? And I think that's something that has been in my mind for a while. If you look at the demographic of the fan, and, and I don't like to stereotype, but if you look at the demographic of a lot of the fans at clubs like Burnley and local, local guys, not everybody wants to go to a football club and start jumping up and down and singing and shouting. Um, I go to the football with my dad, and he's in his you know mid-60s now, and he loves an atmosphere. And when I take him to away games, he absolutely loves it, but he just wants to listen to it. He's never, I've never, I don't think, in all the time I've been to a football ground with him, heard him sing a song, maybe with the exception of Wembley actually in the playoff final when he got majorly overexcited. But, um, you know, some fans just don't want to. And I think home games especially, you know, there are more of that type of fan. They just want to sit, watch a good game of football and, and, you know, they don't necessarily want to join in. Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, I I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I I do think that if if you're going to be a supporter, you have, I think, being a supporter, part of that is supporting the team vocally, not just sitting there and then clapping along with the goal music when we score. I, I think you do have to join in a bit, but I totally understand that not everyone wants to do that. I know Kevin in particular has spoken about how he likes to, to concentrate on the match rather than making a lot of noise. But on the flip side, there are people who prefer to, who don't even watch the match, they go to away games and spend all game trying to get home fans to have a fight with them afterwards. So. Well, well, actually, there's a. I was just thinking about the Ben Me, the the Ben Me song. Um, and I think in the video we shared on on Twitter and on Facebook, you look at that and um, when when um, spoiler Adam's behind the camera, when Adam pans it around to to the fans doing it, there's this one guy who's doing the almost. Do you remember the Michael Duff dance from from Wembley? Well, some some guy doing that, but he's facing he's facing the fans behind him, so he's not even watching the match. <laughs> And he was doing that for a good five minutes. So five minutes, he we, we could have considered six goals, and he'd have had no idea. Um, but yeah, you know, actually, interesting. You, you mentioned me, Jamie, because actually, yeah, I I do see myself as a bit of a. I, 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 it's quite difficult for me to say anything on this, really, because I feel like a bit of a hypocrite. Because yeah, I I, I don't really get involved with uh, with the chanting that much. Um, I think I think there's a difference between a fan and a supporter sometimes, um, and I probably see myself closer towards the the fan side. Um, and but that said, although I don't really get involved in the singing that much, um, at Fulham, uh, sorry, yeah, at Fulham, I, I was, I was, I, 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 in fact, the day after, I was doing a presentation at a, co- a conference. I, I lost my my voice halfway through, uh, and I'd lost my voice that match because I've been singing throughout the whole match. And I think that's the difference. I think when I when I sit at home games, I, I usually sit with my mum behind in the lower tier of the Jimmy Macro stands. And it's very difficult to sing there purely because nobody else does, and particularly if you're maybe not got much not got not got much confidence, it's very difficult to be the one guy who's stood there standing up and singing your lungs out uh, while everyone else is just sat around you looking up at you, thinking who's that person. The thing there. is, there's probably like half a dozen people thinking the same thing, and it, it, it's like domino effects, isn't it? If one person starts, then somebody else might join in, and all of a sudden you've got dozens of people and. There is actually an atmosphere, but actually getting it kicked off and started, I, I agree, it is a problem. I think the the cricket field stand, it, it's a funny one because I think it has had a positive effect overall, but because people go in there to be part of the atmosphere, I wonder if that means people who would join in in other stands are now in there, so it, it means that that's the only place that noise is coming from. Tell me if I'm wrong, but that's, that's what it maybe seems like to me. Um Adam, if you got anything to add on this, safe standing possibly plays a role in atmosphere. Possibly that's something we could look at in the future, but 
certainly a, a massive difference between the atmosphere at the turf and the atmosphere in away games when Burnley take very good followings to, to matches. Yeah, I think I think it's been a trend. If you listen to what Deitch said, he's uh, he's at all, always acknowledging the fans, the away following. Um, but but if you look at the home games, he's sometimes outwardly criticising the fans and, and their, uh, their their tendencies to to as, as James said to moan and to to groan. Um, but going back to what Kev said about uh, about Fulham, uh, I in the first half I was sat um, with my family down down near the front where not many people were chanting and and then it kind of highlights what what um what Kev says about if people around you are, uh, are chanting then you do it too so in the second half I come, came and stood up with with you guys at the back um and it was it was to- a totally different experience it was it was so much fun everyone was singing and I think eventually it it filtered down to the front so we hear from what, what my mum and, and dad said um but but yeah like it I don't know. It's kind of it kind of veers into like elements of kind of sociology. Like, how do you get people to want to sing? Um, and and I don't think you can do that in any kind of forced way without changing things massively and doing things like allowing people to like unallocated seating, which is probably a terrible idea. But like, if you get people packs of people sitting where they want, then they sing more. Um, but yeah, uh, I think. I think it, it's a very difficult que- uh, question to answer um, and I, I'm not sure any club has the answer it's not just Burnley Well this is it, it's, it's obviously something that the club has tried to to address with allowing home fans in the cricket field and I think we've sold out of season tickets for their next season so hopefully momentum is starting to build up about that and that will, will carry us forward a little bit earlier but um, yeah I, th- I think this is really tricky, I mean we, we've been chatting um, via Skype in the, the text box about what, what some other clubs do and some clubs even go to the extent I don't know if this is fan led or from the club but they hand out sheets in the stands before the game with like not just the lyrics to, to all the songs they're going to sing but specific times for when they're going to do it so it's like an itinerary for when the songs are going to come up now that might sound incredibly naff and it is incredibly naff but it probably works. People might not even know the words to some of the the Burnley songs, so maybe something like that could work. I don't know. People. I think we need a drum, Jamie. I was about to suggest the drum. I'm sure there would be people out there who would love a drum as well. But yeah, no, no drum. We are not having a drum. End of. How about an accordion? Agreed. No, no drum, <laughs> please. No. We can't have a drum because we've got all these grounds that have the the drums, and we sing "We're Burnley FC." We don't need a drum, so we then can't be completely hypocritical and start with a drum. No, I, I'm, we have I'm, that, that is the primary reason not to have a drum, so we can't be hypocrites. <laughs> not the fact that it's the most annoying thing on the planet. Yeah, I'm firmly in the, the no drum camp. Um, there's a couple more questions on this area, but we are moving into the, the quick fire the quick fire round. Pete Johnson, a listener in the USA, got in touch. He said, what is your favourite Burnley cheer? I want to learn it for the Premier League next year. Um, well, we are called No Nay Never, so I imagine No Nay Never. And it's No Nay Never. <laughs> no Nay Never dot net. No Nay Never dot net. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for that, Kevin. <laughs> oh, very good, Kevin. Very good. <laughs> Natalie, have you got a, a favourite? cheer as Pete put it um, at the moment it, it can only be the Ben Me, the Ben Me chant it's the only one I, I love it I'm, it just gets in my head every time we sing it I 
I spend the whole day singing it in my head. And, and when I'm walking down the corridor to the, to the copy or something, I, I start doing the little dwarf chant as if I've got a spade over my shoulder and start chanting by me. So that's my <laughs> current favourite. Yeah. <laughs> I've always been a fan of some of the anti-rovers ones. Like um, If I had the wings of an eagle, I like that one. I also like Come To Evil, Come To Evil, It's Place of Misery. I don't like the Jack Walker ones. I'm a bit um, sensitive about those. James, what, what about you? Um, I've always liked Burnley Aces, but... Um... These days, I'm more inclined to say I'm, I'm more inclined to say anything but in our Lancashire homes because I think I just don't get the oh, point. I don't understand that yeah. song so much. People who clap along to it, I don't think that should be allowed in. But it just doesn't make sense because he just talks about Lancashire. There's loads of teams in Lancashire. I mean, we don't really differentiate ourselves there, are we? No, and I've never lived in a Lancashire home. So like... Yeah, but the turf, the turf is the Lancashire. How, how do you not get the turf? More is the Lancashire. Oh, Jamie actually. It says homes, though. It uses yeah, I get, I get it's it. It's not. It's home. It's not homes. It's home. Well, everyone sings homes, so... Well, they're all wrong. It's like people who sing, Bertie B said to Bill Shankly, they're wrong. It's Bertie Me, not Bertie B. Um, Adam, have you got a favourite chant to get it back on topic? Um, I, I I like Noni Never and I like the Ben Me chant. Um, I also am... Um, uh, purely because it, it harks back to some of the, the best days when I, I'd only really started watching football in the promotion season. I know we've had the conversation how I'm a glory glory fan, but glory supporter or, or whatever. Um, but um, yeah, I I really like uh, E-I-E-I-E-I-O. Um, that's, that's one of my favourite, just because you can belt it at the top of your lungs just after yeah. you've scored. That's, 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 the beauty of E-I-E-I-E-I-O is when you you are genuinely getting promoted and it it has real feeling that sort of thing but I, I don't know how you sing it when you're in the Premier League it's like it doesn't make sense as soon as you get promoted so yeah hopefully um, we won't be hearing that one much next season just just su- you can just substitute the word up to down or you could go up the Premier League we go that would also work if we are uh, that's been done like you, you you joke I've, I've heard that being sung, though. I have genuinely heard people saying <laughs> That's that. That's so rubbish. Anyway, uh, next question is also on the atmosphere. I, I don't know if I'm brave enough to bring this up, but um, we talked about this before the podcast, and opinion was more split than I was expecting. So we are going to do it. Siobhan got in touch. She said, do you think we should get rid of the awful corny goal music? No, no um, prizes for guessing which side of the argument Siobhan's on. She says, I don't like it. What do you all think? I think the fans' cheers are better. Natalie, you can go first on this one. I love it. Oh, don't God. get rid of it. It's this. End off. <laughs> uh, James? I'm not really sure anyone has a strong opinion either way, to be honest. If you like it, listen. If you don't, just you know, continue with your own own thing. I, I never buy those opinions where people say, I looked around the ground after today's goal and as soon as Tom Hawk started, everyone stopped cheering. No, they didn't. You just need to get a life. Yeah, I think... I, I don't like it, as you can probably tell, but the reason for me, it sort of regulates the celebration. Like, you can celebrate on your own, but it's difficult if you're clapping to not clap in time. So it looks like you're clapping in time because you enjoy it, but you might just be clapping in time because that. If you try clapping not in time, it just doesn't work. Do you know what I mean? And pe- when people say, "Oh, everyone's loving it," people are jumping around. It's like they're jumping around because we've just scored a goal, not because there's goal music. It's because we just scored a goal. That's why people are jumping around. I, I think I think maybe we just need a new song. But there is times as well. I think it's definitely saved us some embarrassment. 
when you know the the attendance has been so poor on a wet Tuesday night that if it wasn't there, you would have not really known that we scored. I don't know. I agree with you, James. Um, but I I don't really have a strong opinion on this either way. But I think one point is that in the aftermath of a goal, that's often when new chants start. And I mean, you can still start a chant, but I've heard it where the goal music is still going on and the crowd has also erupted into song and it kind of sounds a bit strange. But also, if we're thinking about atmosphere, maybe that's one way to get it really going again is to to um, to allow the, the songs to, to kind of flourish. But that the one thing is that that relies on having a really good attendance as james just said like um so it's kind of a tough thing do you do use it to mask when attendances probably aren't as high and people don't chant chant and cheer after just like uh just after we've scored or or do you just just not do it for select games when we know that um the attendance will be high and people will be um more passionate and and sing loads and cheer loads after after you scored I like it's it's, a, it's like 50-50 but I don't I don't think I don't actually think it's that big an issue like why as James said why if you just don't like it then don't kind of join in like it's, it's fine I don't I don't I don't similar to the guys I don't have a huge opinion on it I think when I'm at the ground um I if I had a choice between having it and not having it I'd have, I wouldn't have it but I can easily tune out at the ground it doesn't really affect me uh, I think it's probably quite good for kids um although I do think it sounds pretty awful um on on tv and i'm a match highlights afterwards that's the time it's weird because at ground i can completely ignore it but on my highlights i just think it, it's, it sounds really embarrassing on my highlights um but at the ground it's yeah i'm not really not really bothered i think the one last thing that i'd add on this is if you look at a lot of the other teams that use goal music they do tend to be quite small clubs you don't see many clubs in the premier league doing it uh, although i think less to do it but yeah, it's it seems it just it seems a bit small time to me, but I'm not desperately worried about it. I know that this is a topic a lot of people have strong opinions on, but we've shown that there are a range of views on the non Never Pop. Hundred percent fact: Gold Music wins the Premier League. Indisputable. That, now, that isn't is it? indisputable, as you say. Hundred percent fact. <laughs> the next three questions we can group into one because they are all quite similar, and we've covered them on the podcast um, in the last two weeks. So if you want to hear more in-depth stuff. On, the, on this sort of area please do go back and listen to episode 109 and 110 um, Ian said can you debate Sean Drilton to use substitutions Lloyd Dyer and should Dean partner Barton I don't know if Ian's actually joking there because we've talked about those three subjects every week for about a month Damien said do you see the lack of substitutions during games that need them as costly especially in games such as Wolves the other week and Michael said how much will the next eight games depend on Dean Marnie being in the team and where will he fit um, Natalie, I know we've done this to death, but Dean Marnie, do you think he's going to get in the team before the end of the season, or, or do you think we're going to stick with Jones and Barton? No, I think we're going to stick with Jones and Barton. Um, I think Marnie will provide some very good cover if we need it, but I, at the moment I cannot see Dykes changing that. Not with eight games to go, I think he will keep it as it is and just bring Marnie in as needed. James, Jones and Barton's worked all season. There's no reason to be changing at this stage shall Bar an injury or um, another performance as bad as Wolves I would say uh, it's unlikely to change um, substitute things I guess sometimes it's an issue other times it's worked out okay for us uh, and Lloyd Dyer I'm not really sure what the obsession is um, I mean they've brought him in for numbers but I don't really see how he's maybe a massive departure to anyone else we've got playing 
I think the thing with Dyer is that he's got pace, which neither of the current wingers um, have in abundance. There's a rumour that Scott Arfield picked up an injury on the international G, so maybe that'll free up a place in the team for him. Uh, I'd still rather see Carter play before him, but you know, Burnley fans do love a runner. So hey. I said when we when we signed uh, Dyer, I said I hope he never plays, um, and I stand by that. I think he's brought in to give us something different if we need it at the end of a match, um, and. I think if we don't need it, he probably won't play, and I'm hoping that's the case because that means we've been um, we've been going quite well. Marie got in touch and said, "Kale Ings and Rodriguez have played for England recently. Heaton and Easton and Austin have been in the squad. Of Tom Heaton, of course, is currently England's number two as a result of injuries to Joe Hart and Jack Butland. Marie's question is therefore: Is there anyone else in the current squad who could play for England?" Uh, James, I'm sure we're all hoping that Tom Heaton's going to get a goal soon with the, the injuries in defence, in defence, in goal. But do you see potential future internationals in the squad elsewhere? Well, I mean, looking long term, potentially Andre Gray. You know, if he makes a step up, it'd be hard to argue against him. But then again, obviously, Austin's not really had a chance, and there's not really many English players that who score the you know the number of goals he has at the top level. And I think he'd. You know, be excellent for England, and he's not really getting a proper chance, so maybe not on that front. Um, I think obviously that the the boat's probably sailed for for Barton. You know, I think in a different era he would have had a lot of England caps, um, but unfortunately, obviously at the time he sort of was younger. Uh, the midfield was pretty established, though. I mean, you look at it now, and he probably wishes he was five years younger, doesn't he? Because I think he'd he'd definitely get a look in with the. The quality that's I'm sure now. Joey still thinks he should be going to, to France this summer and being the Euros. Um, Natalie, two good young English defenders have, have turned our defence around, really. Do you see either of them as having the potential to go and play for England in the future? Keno, definitely. 100%. I'll be amazed if he doesn't play for England at some point. Um, I don't see him having a long-term future with Burnley, unfortunately, just because I think he's on too many clubs' radars. And I think his his own ambition um, is going to lead him away from us. Um, so, unfortunately, I think he will. Uh, I think his England ambition will see him move away from us. Ben Mee, I, he could... I, I'd love to see him play for England. If he's going to stay with us long-term, I don't think that opportunity will arise. Unfortunately, I don't think we are trendy enough a club to um, be able to put him in the window for an England spot, but um, Keno definitely for me. Well, this this is one of the problems, isn't it? I mean, you'd expect that players would probably have to leave if they're going to play for England, but we obviously want them to stay at Burnley if they're going to be good. That's about all we've got time for then. We had one last question from Will who said, do you think you could bring back the occasional live No and Ever podcast again? Always enjoy the live forum and interaction. The technical difficulties were always good fun too. Um, a lot of happy memories from doing the podcast live, but as Will mentions, the technical difficulties did make it quite tricky. Um, but we will consider trying to do a special live edition at some point in the future, possibly during the summer or at the end of the season, so we will try to do that. We had a lot of questions that we haven't been able to do on the podcast this week as well, so thanks to Michael, Regan, Mark, Dave, Peter, and probably some others that we've missed as well. If you did get in touch with a question, thank you so much for taking time to take part in this No Name Ever Fans Forum. Hopefully you've stuck with us until the end. I know it's been a long podcast. We'll be back to normal length next week when we'll be going over Burnley's hopefully a victory over Brighton in what is going to be a massive match it's on telly as well so that will be next Tuesday Wednesday hopefully be online thanks to Kevin Natalie 
James and Adam for joining me on this week's podcast. I've been Jamie Smith and we'll be back next week. Bye. Um, I agree with everything Natalie said. Excellent, Adam. Well, Adam, Adam, Adam can probably edit that out. Thanks, Kev. <laughs> Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.